0: Hello, this is Pastor Patrick Hines, and I am back in Tennessee. I drove back um, today, this morning, and kind of got everybody settled back in here. Um, If you're wondering what that's on that chair over there, that's the laundry. Um, (laughs) When your house does laundry for, how many people live here now? There's still 10 people that live here, and um, is that, yeah, that's right, 10 all the kids clothes and laundry it's like that's like the chair It all just thrown on where people go get their laundry so anyway uh romans chapter three pressing on here i want to be um be good about trying to get shorter podcasts out i've been wanting to do this for a long time so uh, if you're wondering what my shirt says it says by grace alone through faith alone and christ alone a, a, a family from church got me those they saw it uh, somewhere in Gatlinburg uh, at a t-shirt shop and they, they, uh, they thought of me. So I was really, really happy they thought of me and bought this for me. So I hope that that's the message people will remember uh, because that's what I'm going to be thinking about um, when I'm dying. That's what I think about every day. Um, I'm very thankful that I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, completely apart from my works on account of the work of Christ alone. That's the gospel. Okay, so we, we talked uh, last time. We got through verse 29 of chapter 2, which is the last verse of chapter 2. So chapter 3, uh, Paul just said, well, circumcision didn't guarantee salvation. Circumcision doesn't save anyone. Um, he is not a Jew who was one um, outwardly. And circumcision is not merely that which is outward in the flesh, but it's in the, the heart, and the spirit. Circumcision was always um, a sign of regeneration, a sign that you were saved, that you were justified before God. Uh, even though it was given to to babies, as Paul is going to develop that even more in Romans chapter four, his understanding of circumcision um, is that it's identical in terms of what it's a sign of with baptism—the same exact thing. So, since he just got done saying circumcision did not guarantee salvation, circumcision was not a means of justification. Possessing the law um, did not uh, guarantee your salvation. The question was asked to him a lot. Well, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? If it didn't guarantee them eternal life, if it, did, if it didn't guarantee them a place in God's kingdom, then what good was it then? And his answer is, is profound in its significance. And I, I want to, I, I can't tell you how much I, I need to emphasize verse 2 of chapter 3 here of Romans. Romans 3, verse 2. Much in every way, chiefly because to them, to the Jewish people, to the Israelites, were committed to the oracles of God. Now think about that. The question that he was asked a lot was: What is the prophet of circumcision? And he connects being circumcised with being taught the word of God, with having access to the word of God. Because everyone that was circumcised, whether they were a proselyte that was circumcised as an adult, as the provision in Exodus 12:48 makes a provision, if a sojourner, if a foreigner, wants to join the church. They can be circumcised along with their whole household, and then they can partake of the Passover, just like baptism. And when an adult that has children um, professes faith in Christ, all their children are baptized and brought into the church with them. Same thing with circumcision, same thing with baptism. But he connects being circumcised with having access to the oracles of God. What are the oracles of God? It's scripture. It's the Old Testament scriptures. And so it's the same thing with uh, baptism. When you're baptized, you're part of the covenant community. You're part of the people of God. You're going to be taught the word of God. And so he was asked this question. Look, if circumcision is not a means of justification, if it's not a means of being right with God, well, what good is it then, Paul? If it doesn't save anybody, what what good is it? If it doesn't guarantee eternal life, then what's the whole point of it then? Why circumcise an eight-day-old baby if it doesn't guarantee anything? People ask the same thing about infant baptism. What good is it? it, Does it justify anybody? No. Does it save them? No. Does it make them right with God? No. Does it justify them? No. What good is it then? My response to that question is Paul's response to this one. Much in every way. Much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. You know, there's a passage um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I, I really believe very firmly that Timothy was one of the very first covenant children because his uh, mother was a Christian. His grandmother was also a Christian. His father wasn't though. But it says in verse uh, 15, it says, and that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. What that word really means is from infancy, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. This guy, Timothy, was taught the Bible from the time he was a baby. That's the way it was supposed to be with Israel. And more often than not, the parents of, of, of babies that were born in Israel, or really throughout all the kingdom years, and even after they came out of, of Egyptian bondage, they their parents didn't teach them anything. There's an amazing passage in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It's It's incredible to read it, because it says, but then there arose a generation after Joshua and all the elders of Israel died that, that uh, were, they were part of the wilderness wanderings and everything else. Um, that, that generation died. And then a generation arose, it says, that did not know the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. A whole generation. A whole generation of little Jewish Israelite babies, their parents forgot to tell them. About the Lord. And their parents didn't tell them what the Lord had done for them. And one generation, one generation of not teaching the oracles of God to covenant children, one generation, and the next generation served Baal. And that's why we put such an emphasis on that. Who's there? Hey, bud. That's all right. That's all right, man. One generation didn't do it, and the next generation served Baal. And then, if you know the whole cycle of the book of Judges, I mean, I used to be be able to recite all the Judges in order. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, and then you get um, Tola, Jared, Jephthah, Samson, and all the rest of them. I can't remember all all of them. But it's like nosedive into iniquity and sin and and every kind of idolatry. God brings oppressors to them. Then they cry out, Lord, we're, we're sorry, forgive us. God raises up a judge to deliver them. And it just happens over and over and over again but i can't emphasize enough here in Romans chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 paul is really emphasizing the covenantal responsibility of parents chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of god really to the circumcised to the circumcised babies they they were committed with the oracles of god yeah their parents were supposed to god commanded it of them so the chief blessing of being circumcised and being in the community was you were taught the Bible. How could someone seriously think, oh, there's no advantage. There's no advantage to a baby being being circumcised, being given a sign of justification, of salvation. Can't even understand it. Can't even profess anything about it yet. People say the same thing about infant baptism. What's the point? Babies can't, they don't understand what's going on. Every argument that you bring up against infant baptism should have worked against infant circumcision because they're signs of exactly the same thing. Uh, and Paul Jewett um, in his book, Infant Baptism and the Covenant of Grace, um, and he's uh, really arguing for the Baptist position, he agrees with us on that point. He says, yeah, circumcision and baptism are signs of exactly the same thing, exactly the same thing. And I would maintain when people ask me, What's, what point what point is there to that? What point is there to baptizing an infant? I say, um, much in every way, Romans 3, verse 2, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. That child has parents that have covenantal obligations. They are responsible and they swear an oath by God in front of the congregation. We will teach the doctrines of scripture and the word of God to our children. And we will set an example of piety and godliness to them. And then the whole congregation takes an oath too. We will assist these parents in the rearing of these covenant children, in praying for them, encouraging them and helping them. But people actually asked Paul that question because they didn't understand circumcision. They thought circumcision justified them before God. And Paul pointed out, no, circumcision is not not outward in the flesh. It's a sign of an inner reality that you can only have by faith. Only by true faith can you have what circumcision was a sign of. Only if you have true faith can you have what baptism is a sign of. So people asked him, what good is it then? What is the profit of circumcision then? Uh, Paul's answer and mine uh, to the question about baptism. Much in every way. Chiefly because to them are committed the oracles of God. Those little ones should have the Bible read to them every single day by their parents. Every day. And they are to be brought to church. And they're brought to church not as observers to just kind of take it in. They are required to pray, to sing God's praises, those are things that only a true believer can do, right? Yep. But you raise them to do that. And then in God's timing, hopefully you pray and you evangelize and you cry and you cry out to the Lord and you weep tears. You pray that God will save them. And in his time, you know, you, you hope and pray that he will. It was the same with um, children under the uh, under the covenant of grace in the Old Testament era as well. And then verse 3, well, what if some did not believe? I mean, I I was asked that question yesterday. What about a baptized child that doesn't end up believing? And my, my answer to that, will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. In other words, just do what God tells you to do. Leave the results in his hand. Okay? If some don't believe, it doesn't nullify the faithfulness of God. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, that you, God, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust, who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not, for how then would God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. You know, I've had people say that to me about uh, the gospel that I preach because it's Paul's gospel, it's the biblical gospel. You're saying that we can just do evil so the good can come. We're saying, You're saying we can just sin all we want so the grace can abound. And of course, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, Romans chapter 6 answers that, and we'll get to that later. But Paul was accused constantly of preaching a loose gospel because he said that human works of any kind, before or after you're converted, play no role in saving you. Okay, then he's going to go on there. Uh, verse 9 through the end of uh, verse 20 is really kind of the summation of his whole argument so far. So let's kind of summarize it ourselves real quick before we move into the next passage and the next time we're together on Romans. Pardon me. Paul in Romans chapter 1 has kind of spelled out the theme. What is this book going to be about? The gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ in verse 16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, okay? It is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So that's that's the theme of the book. It's about the gospel. But to understand the gospel, you have to understand the wrath of God, the righteous judgment of the holy God against sin. And that's what he goes into Romans 1.18 and following, the wrath of God, not the gospel, but the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then he goes into the fact that Gentiles, even though they don't have the law of Moses, they have the law of God on their hearts and they know that they disobey it and they know that they... Uh, are lost. They do know this God, but they suppress the truth about him. And then in chapter two, he goes after the Jewish people. and They didn't do any better than the Gentiles because they committed all the same sins that the, that the Gentiles did. And then he points out to them, and it doesn't matter that you have the law, that you've heard the law. You have to do it to go to heaven. And of course, he's going to go on in Romans to point out there's nobody that does it. No one. That's why the righteousness by which we get into heaven has to come from the outside has to come from outside of us, okay? And then he says at the end of chapter two there, it's being a Jew is not one inwardly, or excuse me, not outwardly, but it's inwardly. Who are the true Jews today? Believers in Jesus Christ. Whether they are ethnically Jews or Gentiles, they are the true Jews, the true spiritual Israel of God. And then there in Romans three, he answers the question, what's the point of circumcision? And if it doesn't save us much in every way, to them were committed the very oracles of God, the assumption being, if you're circumcised, you're part of the community of faith. You're going to be taught the oracles of God, and if you're a Christian and you have children, you are obligated by Deuteronomy six one through nine, Psalm seventy eight one through eight, um, Genesis eighteen nineteen, uh, Ephesians six four, and many other places. You are obligated to teach them the word of God and to do it diligently to teach them the oracles of God. And people will ask, well, what if What if some of them don't don't believe? Well, that's, that doesn't mean that God is unfaithful. It doesn't mean, mean his faithfulness is without effect, okay? And it's not like, well, let's just do evil then so the good can come. We're not supposed to do that either, okay? Now we'll move into the summary, the great summary passage, uh, Romans uh, 3, 9 through, probably, probably get through about verse 20 next time, but this has been Romans chapter three, verses one through eight. Hope it's been helpful to you. Thank you for watching or for listening.